Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Hello and welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. The podcast that explores and explains boy behavior. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. Join us as we discuss some of the most compelling issues facing boys today. Our goal is to equip you with the information and support you need to help today's boys grow into healthy, happy men. Our special guest today is Dr. Warren Farrell, co-author with John Gray of the newly released book, The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. Dr. Farrell has been a longtime advocate for boys and men. In fact, he's one of the powerhouses pushing for the creation of a White House Council on Boys and Men. Welcome. It is so wonderful to have you here today. Thank you. It's been a delight to talk with you just before we started this and uh, see all your background and your dedication, uh, the dedication of both of you. Thank you. Warren, tell us a little bit about your book. You know, the title itself is very catching. It's the kind of thing that I have a feeling some people might think is over the top and other people might think it is dead on and about time. Mm-hmm. Tell me where this title came from and what that means to you. Yeah, first of all, I'm not a person who likes exaggeration. So for me to have something reach the word crisis um, really means the bar has to be high. And so what I saw was that in all 63 of the largest developed nations, boys were falling behind girls in the educational tests that were given nationwide, worldwide. Mm -hmm. And they were falling behind girls in all academic subjects. It used to be that they were ahead of girls in, in math and science, but now it's behind girls in all academic subjects in virtually all of the um, uh, most developed nations. So I started asking myself, you know, what is that about? And I saw that in all the developed nations, that there was two things happening. There was a much greater permission for divorce because survival was enough in access that societies could get more permissive around the divorce issue. And there was more permission for women to have children without being married. And so I'm, I'm sort of on the, on the liberal end of the spectrum. And so I thought, what's the big deal about not being married? As it turns out, I was wrong. <laughs> There's a lot, a very big deal about not being married, which is that, that when 
couples are not married and women have children without being married, the father is much more likely to not be remain involved in the picture for whatever reasons for more than about two years, even when the couples live together without being married. And so, um, so while I feel like people should be able to do what they want to freedom-wise, uh, when you make the free choice to have a child, then the priorities reverse. You start asking yourself, I made the free choice to have a child with the knowledge that now the responsibility to take care of the child's best interests have be become the primary responsibility. That's my free choice. With divorce, we also have the responsibility, having been married, to uh, make sure that the children do well and that our decision doesn't uh, trump the children's benefits. And so I started seeing that, that some of the children in divorce situations and in non-married situations were doing well. And those were children that had a significant amount of father involvement. They weren't doing as well as children in the intact family, but if a number of things were, were followed, um, they could do almost as well as in the intact family. But there was a big gap between children with significant father involvement and children with minimal or no father involvement. Those children were doing terribly in more than 70 different areas on average. There were exceptions to the rule. Both the boys and girls were doing much worse and the boys were doing significantly worse than the girls. And mm -hmm. so I started to examine this and then realize that this is, was not just that they were doing badly academically, they often meant boys dropping out of school much more. Boys who dropped out of school, high school um, were at the 20% unemployment level in their early 20s, 20%, mm. uh, five times the national average. Very few girls are interested in marrying boys that are reading the boy crisis in the unemployment line. <laughs> you know, um, you know uh, women do not tend to choose from unemployed men. And so, because they don't want just one more child to raise. These boys were therefore not getting married or um, they were having sex uh, without being married and were not usually involved very much with their children after the birth of the child. And so the whole cycle was continuing. But it wasn't just in the, in the education or in the um, economic um, ability to have a job. It was a whole purpose void, a whole sense of rudderlessness. Mm -hmm. And I started to ask myself, um, you know, as I was researching the boy crisis, what is this purpose void about? And I sort of I realized that in the old days, you know, boys, as I talk about in the myth of male power, boys were trained to be disposable in war, and we gave them social bribes to be disposable. We called them heroes. Uh, we, you know, in football games, we said first and 10, do it again, as in, you know, get that concussion again, no problem. Uh, not first and 10, please restrain yourself and be very careful on, the, on this next play. Maybe you should play flag football rather than tackle football. Mm -hmm. Fathers would say, that's my son, he caught the touchdown pass. The boy that was, you know, maybe the more sensitive boy that was standing next to the father in the stands felt completely neglected and wished he could be that boy, you know, the, the brother that was taking the risks with his body and so on. And so these social bribes led boys in the past to be able to be warriors and to be heroes or to be sole breadwinners. And these two things, even though they often led to boys' earlier death, nevertheless led to boys being more approved of if they were the sole breadwinner and were successful.
successful doing that, or they were the um, you know the general in the army um, or the air force, etc. But now with fewer wars, there were fewer heroes to people. You know, if you were born after 1960, um, after General Eisenhower, you just probably can't name a single um, hero that you had in, in a military um, uh, sense. Being a sole breadwinner is no longer the, a definition of masculinity since many women mm-hmm. are sharing that responsibility. So the good news is that both of those things are less pressure on boys and men than they used to be. The bad news is that if you don't have a father figure guiding you through a much more ambiguous landscape, who are you, son? What is unique about you? And while you might want to do something fulfilling, ask whether you know how to make a living doing that so you're both uh, fulfilled and responsible. What's the balancing act that, that you need for that? And the single biggest balancing act I discovered was having a father leading you, as well as a mother, leading you through that balancing act and helping you discover yourself, being there to, to, to put pressure on you to try things that are uncomfortable, to not give up when you fail. And the most important thing I discovered in the, in the process of doing the research for the boy crisis was the importance of postponed gratification and the dad's role at um, preparation for both his son and daughter to have postponed gratification, but the um, greater amount of pivotal power that had for... You know, one of the most interesting things to me as the mom of boys is that through parenting these children and through my own research... I've become aware of a lot of these factors. What you're really saying is that there have been a lot of shifts in society in the last 50 years or so that have dramatically affected our boys. And yet there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of awareness of that fact. And what I so often see when I talk to other parents of boys, Janet, I'm sure you hear this too, when we as parents see our boys struggling, whether that is, you know, in school Um, getting in trouble, struggling to figure out what to do with their lives afterwards, or kind of flailing around, we tend to assume that there is a problem with our boy or that we did something wrong. You know, what you're really saying is that these issues are part of something greater than all of them. An individual boy Mm -hmm. or an individual family. Mm -hmm. You you are absolutely right. Um, You know, one of the first things uh, that I heard people say when they said, oh, the boy, I say the boy crisis exists in in more than 60 of the largest developed nations. Many parents sort of like take a breath and they go, oh, so it isn't just me and me, my bad parenting and and my They want to know what to do about it. And so the book is filled with what to do about it. Uh, but they also, they, it's easier for a parent to hear uh, what they can do about it when they know that it's happening all over the world. Mm-hmm. It is them as a failure as parents. Yeah. Um, and yet there's so much that we can do about it. The, mm-hmm. I'd say the single most important thing, 10 different causes of the boy crisis, you know, one of which is the purpose void, the other of which is the feminization of our school systems and the, the, the degree to which we have cut back on recess and, mm-hmm. um, and the degree to which we've cut back on vocational education. Yes. These are two things that are absolutely uh, essential for boys. And it turns out that recess not only prepares your, uh, develops your brain more quickly and effectively and completely than studying does. 
and prepares you for tests better than studying does because of what it does for your brain. Um, but it, and it does it for both girls and boys. But it's more like it's critical for boys, mm -hmm. as you know, as Michael Gurian has in the Gurian Institute. And you know, I know Janet, you're um, very knowledgeable, and I've been a trainer for the Gurian Institute. And you know, Michael was one of the first people who understood and and recognized that you know, that boys have a different way of learning than girls did mm -hmm. do. And it turns out that he's completely right. And what he's been suggesting, he's told me, has you know still only exists in about seven eight percent of schools. And so it's it's very sad that um, that we haven't um, recognized this. But part of your question, Jennifer, was was you're suggesting, well, you know, why is it that we don't know about this? You know, why are we, why have we not been paid been paying attention to that? Is that correct that you were sort of uh, asking that? And, you know, that, that's part of it. But what I'm more interested in actually is. You alluded to the response you get from boy parents, that kind of almost a sense of relief, like, oh, there's something else going on. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious what kind of reception and response you get from people who aren't parenting boys. Do they think, well, wait, what are you talking about? Or do they kind of understand that there is something going on with our boys? Yes, the people who get the boy crisis most quickly are teachers. Yes. Uh, because they see it in aggregate and they don't personalize it as being just my bad parenting. Mm -hmm. and, then the, and then the second group is mothers and fathers of sons, particularly fathers of sons get it, but they're the, they don't articulate these things and focus on these types of discussions as much as mothers tend to do, who tend to sort of read more about parenting and are quicker to articulate that there's something different happening. They're more mm -hmm. likely to be involved in school, uh, PTA, and he over here that, you know, it's interesting that um, the Honor Society has 80% girls and 20% boys. And uh, it's interesting when I grew up, um, the student body president was usually a male and said, the last four student body presidents have been a female. You know, they'll hear discussions mm -hmm. like that that will make them realize that there's a shift occurring. Uh, they'll see that all their daughter's girlfriends are doing quite well, and many of their, their, their son and many of his boyfriends seem to be having some struggles. And so they are the second group to, that catches on to this. The group that is the last to catch on to this is Academics Without Children. Uh, academics without children, yeah, they, you know, like they're they're focused more on um, male privilege. Men, the patriarchy is dominant and controlling, and so therefore paying any attention to boys and men. Uh, that's sort of like undermining. Uh, boys and men have already been the focus of attention for centuries, and uh, they have all the power already. So why should we be paying attention to the group with power? Um, you know that that can't be that anything is wrong with them that they haven't already caused themselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but when the academic has children, there's a little bit of a softening occurring, especially if she has a boy and parents have a boy. And then, then there is a little bit of like um, the, the self-righteousness tends to melt a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we can talk about the causes of the boy crisis all day long, um, but ultimately that's not going to solve anything. I mean, it pays to be aware of the problems. Mm -hmm. And I am aware as a parent, and I know you are, Janet, also, as well as you, Warren, that some of these things, we need to make transitions on the social level. Yes. You know, there are some institutional changes we need to make. And all of that stuff is going to take a lot of time. Frankly, my oldest is already 20. My youngest is 12. 
And I have to do this now. Yes, yes. So what are some things that parents can be doing right now to help their boys in spite of some of these obstacles? Good. Let me start with the hardest first. Um, Let's take mothers that are raising children by themselves and cannot get the father involved no matter how hard they try. I'll get back to the issue about how to try more effectively in a minute, but I want to take the worst case scenario first. Getting your son involved with Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts, especially if he's young, Cub Scouts, is uh, Cub Scouts have proven very good testing situations. We have control groups. That character development, trust, loyalty, being prepared um, is, is really an outcome that happens when children are involved with Cub Scouts for two years or more. Second, faith-based communities. If you have a faith-based background or you're oriented that way, it really does help to look out for a faith-based community in which there is a male facilitator of a boys' group where a boy, your son can talk with other boys his own age and is not discouraged to express feelings. Boys, because we repress our feelings and and boys are taught to repress our feelings, boys tend to feel very much like if there's something wrong, like they're not doing well in school, um, that it must be their fault and they feel ashamed and maybe they're not bright. So they maybe try out for football or they basketball, but if they don't have postponed gratification and, and from uh, as a result of not having boundary enforcement at home, uh, they tend to not be able to do well in sports either because they don't have the discipline to, to not get distracted by a, a, new, a new Facebook message or a, a new text um, um, desire or a new, quote, friend um, or a new video game that is, you know, the, 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 the talk of the moment. And so Fortnite. They, Fortnite. Fortnite. <laughs> I keep telling Janet about Fortnite. <laughs> and so um, that that so all of those things can be helpful. So the Cub Scouts, the Boy Scouts, is a, a group called Mankind Project. The Boy. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me. So I'm 51. She's 41. And she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm -hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, Increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. 
telehealth. You can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. The boys clubs, WISE, are doing good programs for boys. Uh, so get uh, get your son involved with a male mentor um, to the degree possible. Make sure he goes to summer camp, um, has camp counselors that are that are that are male to help guide him. Um, make sure that you press your school to have male teachers at an early age, um, mm-hmm. so he doesn't go from a female only um, home to a, a female only uh, classroom, and then we wonder why he seeks. Um, got a gang leader as a as a as somebody to inspire his uh, testosterone in a negative direct, direction rather than in a positive direction. So all of those things are important for the worst case scenarios. Now let's take a drop one drop down one, um, which is the, the the mother who maybe could get the father involved but maybe feels the father's irresponsible or a little bit insensitive. And so let me work with that for a moment. You know, this is one that I think is so important to talk about, not only in in situations where the mom and dad may not be together, but Mm -hmm. Janet, I know this is a situation that frequently comes up in married couples. Warren, I know you do couples counseling, and I'm sure you see and hear plenty of this too, where and I'm going to admit, I, I fell into this early on too, this idea that I know the right thing to do with these kids and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you're wrecking things over here. Yes. And yeah, I'm not yeah. proud to say that. I know that that was harmful in um, many ways, but the, the fact there that, it is. The fact that you can acknowledge that is um, you are a, a, a massively large step ahead of many, many moms. Uh, and, and because... I'm also eight years post-divorce, Warren. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and I talk about this in a lot of my talks. And Warren, I so appreciate all that you brought in your book because I've been using it in my workshops and my talks over the last month or so and really speaking to moms about, hey, dad is doing, you know, dad is going to parent differently and honoring that. And after every single talk I've given I have had one or more dads come up to me and say, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging and recognizing how I parent and, and also for telling my wife that, you know, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) She sure isn't going to listen to me. (laughs) Right, right, right. Absolutely. The, and so this was a real education to me too, because I, first of all, let me deal very quickly with the divorce situation you mentioned at the outset, Jennifer, and then go, and then go to the everyday family situation. So the divorce situation is very clear. If you, if you, if you are divorced, and you want your children to, the, to do the best possible, which of course you do, 
Um, there are four must-dos that I talk about in the boy crisis. I'm not going to elaborate, but at least I want to mention those. The first is that they're really, the children that do the best are the ones that have about an equal amount of time with father and mother after divorce. Having an equal amount of time with father and mother after divorce is actually more important than having an equal amount of time with both parents during marriage. Um, and for reasons that I talk mm -hmm. about there, but you just need to know the bottom line here. Second is that they're the father and the mother, the children that do the best are ones that have father, the father and the mother after divorce live within about 20 minutes driving distance from each other so that the children never have to resent the, the non-custodial parent or the minimal custodial parent uh, for taking them away from, for their, from, a, from a, 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 a baseball game or an activity that they're involved in or friends. they need to go to their, a friend's mm -hmm. birthday party or so on. Um, the third mm -hmm. thing is the child must be able to detect no bad mouthing or emotional body language that makes your, the child not feel good about speaking well about the time that she or he had with the mother or the dad when they weren't yes. uh, with, with the other. Um, that will close your children down very quickly. And fourth, it's really important they're not, that they're not just be couples communication counseling, but that the couples communication counseling be predictable and consistent. So you're not just going to a counselor on an emergency where you're more likely to see that your wife or your husband is being the bad person um, who's at odds with you during this emergency, which is part of what's caused the emergency is your difference. Um, and But rather that you start um, getting together with your partner as a, as a cooperative parent that looks at the strategic uh, steps you need to take down the line and can settle them with good communication. So I just want to give a shout out and some hope to all the divorced parents listening who are like, if that's what it takes, I don't stand a chance because I'm here to tell you that my ex and I uh, do good on number one and number two. Number three, we've improved we still flounder. And you know what? Your kids don't forget if you ever, ever did any of that. And I have to say, Warren, number four sounds completely unrealistic for most couples because there's usually reasons you divorced and a lot of it has to do with the person, you know, wouldn't go to counseling in the first place. So I think these are great recommendations, but I think it's so important to give encouragement to families and say, even if you don't hit it out of the park on all four, you can still have great boys. Yes. The first three are absolutely um, crucial. Uh, the fourth, you really, you know, so I cannot tell you what you think you can and can't do. I can only tell you if you say to yourself, anybody or to God, that you really want your children to do as well as possible, then this is what it takes. You just enhance the possibilities. I was shocked when my stepdaughter um, the first time that she had a, a you know a serious boyfriend and they got into trouble and they came to me and I started to talk with her about what uh, we were doing and I didn't think she had paid any attention to you know the way I communicated with her mother and she goes oh that's what you and mom do and I got it <laughs> and I didn't think she was even picking it up so let me go now to the the big thing that you were referring to Jennifer which was the um, what moms and dads do differently. One of the things that they do, and I talk in the book about more than a dozen th different things between what moms and dads do, but I'll give just one example. Uh, dads are more likely to roughhouse. A mom seeing the child, or the, the father roughhouse with the children, is more likely to be looking at, out of the side of her eyes and going, mm, 
um, you know, uh, sweetie, um, would you be careful to not uh, roughhouse so close to the coffee table? Uh, would you sort of like maybe wait till tomorrow and do it outside and not inside? And rushing around the house with the children, they could hit something and hurt themselves. And, and it's getting close to bedtime. And, it's and why are you riling them up at bedtime? Exactly. That's precisely correct. And, and inside of her mind, she's thinking two things. One is, I'm feeling on some level that my, the, the, the dad is more like another child that I have to monitor. And then number two is the, the, you know, the riled up uh, before bedtime. And doesn't he, isn't he sensitive to these types of things? Number three, sooner or later, I fear that the children are going to get hurt and they're going to end up crying. Mm-hmm. What's the percentage chance that with dad roughhousing that they'll end up getting hurt? About 95 to 100%. <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, and so here is what is not understood. Uh, number one is that roughhousing teaches the children, uh, we now know, the difference between being assertive and aggressive. One of the ways it teaches the children that is by them getting hurt on a minimal level and seeing what type of aggressiveness, uh, what type of being the way they are is too aggressive that will end up in danger. What type of taking risks by doing it close to the coffee table will lead to them hitting their head on the coffee table. Um, But with dad there, there's some safety. So this is sort of like a roller coaster uh, that dad becomes. He sort of like creates a great deal of excitement, um, but is also a safety net there to to minimize, Mm. but not eliminate the possibility Mm. of some danger. And so all of this teaches the child how to develop its brain, develop it, increase its intelligence, and increase its awareness of what is and isn't dangerous in the framework of it not being so dangerous that you do this um, on some ski slope somewhere near, yeah. near the end of a cliff. And so, th- so that's just the beginning of the process. And remember, if you're a mom listening to this, dads do not study these things. Dads don't therefore articulate these things to you. So don't blame yourself. You can't hear what dads don't say. And dads have not, this has not been the way that men got your love in the past. The way that men got your love in the past was being, uh, when the children were born, being uh, involved in the father's catch-22 of being involved with uh, earning money to raise the children rather than raising the children directly. So they read about things that it took to earn money to get the the family's love, um, not to to do these types of things. Mm -hmm. So they don't also articulate that, that is dads don't also also articulate the fact that that what they're doing with both of your children or all your children is building a bond uh, of, through that physical activity where the children see themselves their dad as their partner their 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 friendship um, person and they love the time and they're excited about the time they're looking forward to the time and almost always dad uses this as leverage to enforce boundaries so statistically Moms are more, when the children are with moms, they will, the moms will set earlier bedtimes. Dads will set later bedtimes, but the children being raised predominantly by dads will go to bed earlier, even though the bedtime was later. Hmm. And one of, the, one of the reasons for that is that ch- the father will typically say something like, okay, you know, we've had some nice rough housing. Bedtime is nine o'clock. Any time between now and nine o'clock that you get your homework done, your chores done, you're dressed, 
toothbrush, et cetera, uh, that's your time. We can either roughhouse more or we can, I can read you in bed. I can do anything you know you want. And the mom is sitting back, like you said, Janet, going, oh, wait a minute, not, nah, you, you didn't promise them that you would roughhouse before bed, did you? Um, <laughs> um, and like thinking like, you must be crazy to get them all riled up before bed. They rush to get everything done so they have as much time as possible before that bedtime. And then the, and then the father is much more likely to say, okay, you know, you didn't do your homework and it's now nine o'clock and that's bedtime. That's your problem. You're going to have to deal with that. The children start learning that um, if they wish to have more fun before bedtime or have what they want, they need to get that done. That's what begins to, that type of thing is what begins to increase postponed gratification where the child learns that she or he cannot have what she wants to have or he wants to have the roughhousing until they do what they need to do first. Those children with the postponed gratification, that becomes the single biggest uh, quality that predicts success. Because the boy or girl with the postponed gratification is able to um, get that homework done without getting distracted by the video games, the texts, or whatever. And here's what the really powerful stuff is. They don't begin to fall down the slippery slope. When they cannot get that homework done, they begin to feel ashamed that maybe they're not as bright and as competent as the other kids. And they start turning inward. When they, when they can't practice for a, a, a team that they want to be on because they don't have the discipline to do the routines that it takes to be successful in anything over again, including sports, uh, they start feeling ashamed of themselves in that area. That's when they begin to withdraw into video game addiction, not just video. When they get to boy-girl age and the girls aren't interested in them, as I was mentioning before, they start turning to porn. And a little bit of porn is one thing. A lot of porn does a huge amount of damage to the, to the brain, and it increases dopamine only when you take greater risks with girls and women um, or with boyfriends if you're, if you're gay. And that becomes a very dangerous um, type of um, addiction because real life, especially real life females, are not high into starting out in the beginning of a relationship taking a lot of risks. Um, and so therefore they feel objectified, they withdraw, they don't want to come back to your son. And the, and the boy feels that, the, that he knows, he thought he was a loser, now he knows he's a loser. And so how does he solve that? By turning to more porn and the problem continues. In worst case scenarios, severe depression, severe worst case de- uh, scenarios, suicide, and in the very worst case scenarios, as we know, almost all of our mass shooters are dad deprived. Mm-hmm. Many of our school shooters are dad deprived. What happens to the boy is he feels like nobody at school respects me. You know, my, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm, oftentimes this boy is a sweet and sensitive boy and he doesn't feel respected and desired for his sweetness and his sensitiveness, sensitivity. And so he starts getting angrier and angrier, not only at the, at the as fellow students, but also at the teachers and other mm-hmm. people who didn't respect him. And in worst case scenario, that anger can manifest in a school shooting. Slippery slope of, you know, and, and that's, again, just one of a dozen or so things that dads and moms do differently, that two things need to happen. Dads, you need to study what you do differently and communicate it gently and lovingly to the mother. Second, you need to understand that this isn't the only way to parent a child, that, that, that the best parenting of a child is what I call checks and balance parenting, that the mom's way of parenting and the nurturing and the, uh, the protectiveness that she often offers needs to be heard by the father, and the father's way of parenting needs to be heard by the mother. And that's why communication is the best 
um, underlying need for children, for parents not to have the divorces to begin with, mm-hmm. because divorces are pre- prohibited uh, legislatively, but you don't want to have them because you're able to communicate and you're, not, you're responding to good communication, not mm-hmm. bad Yeah. And this reminds me of, um, I talked with a mom yesterday who went home very excited after a talk that I did last weekend and came home to her husband and was just like, oh, honey, this and that and this and that. And he just looked at her and said, honey, I have been telling you this for years. And she just wasn't able to hear it from him, but she's able to hear it from people like you and Jen and, and me. So we've got to keep our voices out there and advocating for our boys. Yeah. And I just so appreciate what you have brought out into the, into the conversation with this book. Thank you very much. And, mm-hmm. and really uh, thank you for all the speaking you're doing because you know, every time you give that presentation um, and a father feels heard, a father then feels needed. And yeah. when, men, when men feel needed, we do anything to feel needed. We were willing to die in war because we were f- felt needed. So if we're willing to die to be needed, we're clearly w- willing to get more involved with the family if we feel needed that way. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, Warren. If people are interested in picking up a copy of your book, I know I ordered mine on Amazon. Do you have um, a a website or something people should check out also? I do boycrisis.org. And certainly that has a lot of information about it, but the least expensive way of ordering it is Amazon. And uh, and Barnes and Noble is also doing a good job of almost competing with Amazon. All right. Oh, thank you so much, Warren, for being with us today. And I know all of our listeners are have a lot of food for thought. And I hope that they will reach out and buy your book and become advocates. We need everyone on board to advocate for our boys and our men and our dads. Thanks for joining On Boys. Real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.